people use church for wrong reasons as well as right reasons. I like the sense of community. Yes. The problem with church... We live in social isolation a lot. Like, I never would be focused on that at all if it wasn't for my faith. Very, very welcoming to me. I feel a part of the community. The church is the hands and feet of Christ. Like, there's a reason why people do this. There is something to it, so... Connection and belief and faith. Loving everyone. morning we continue our series why church <clears throat> for those of you who want to follow along in your bible we'll be in luke luke chapter 22 verses 39 through 42 luke 22 39 through 42 on thursday bob and i we met with some leaders who lead a men's ministry a men's class fall class called 33 and we met with them and we're meeting with some other leaders of classes and journey communities and other groups here uh, in the next couple of weeks to sort of cast the vision to them of how we want to follow in the ways of Jesus. What rhythms and habits and patterns of a life do we want to model after the way he modeled life? And so what we talked to them about was the thing we've been talking to us all about, the rhythms of up and in and out, up, hearing and responding to the voice of God, in, connecting with one another, and out, engaging in the broken world around us. And that's what we've been doing to answer the question, why church? We, we've been saying together, hey, th- there are answers to the question why the church still matters, why the church is still important. And we've been using the framework of this up, this in, and this out. This is our last week of up. Next week, Pastor Bob will start uh, talking about how do we connect with each other. Um, but today, we're going to continue to talk about hearing and responding to God's voice. Uh, two weeks ago, we started And we gathered around this idea that we engage and listen and hear from God in this large context. And I kind of emceed the morning and I explained to you, why do we do what we do on a Sunday gathering? And so we were in this big, huge uh, group, big, huge circle. And then the guys that we talked to and the folks uh, in these journey communities and classes, they're part of a smaller group. And Bob kind of talked about that last week. He said, hey, this is how you engage with God's word Uh, guided by the Holy Spirit and in community. And really what Bob was trying to paint a picture of for you was that we move from this big circle here to smaller circles like classes and journey communities and other ways that we connect in mid-size groups. And today I wanna make that circle even smaller. What I wanna talk to you about this morning is prayer. So I think this is an intensely personal sermon, and I hope that um, just on a really personal level, you can engage with the question, and the question is this, why pray? Why pray? Have you ever thought about why you should pray? Two years ago, I was talking to a neighbor up in Big Sky when we were living up there, and he was coming back from his annual spring rafting trip. 
him and some buddies, they were on the middle fork of the Salmon River. Any rafting people in my crew this morning? I got rafts here? Okay, cool. So they were taking this trip down the middle fork of the Salmon, which is just this spectacular river, spectacular place in Idaho. Um, and they had come back and I said, hey, how was, how was your trip? And he said, Brian, I've never, I've never seen the water at that level before. Like this guy has, has chops on the sticks, if you know what I'm saying. Like he knows how to handle a boat. And he's, he had sort of terror in his eyes still after coming back. He said, tell me, tell me some more about it. He said, man, we got in there and, and there was snow on the ground. We had to move the snow out of the way just to get to the put in. And when we got there, the, the water was just boiling and raging. And when we got in within the first couple miles, we had flipped six different times in our boats. He said, come over here, you gotta see this. And so I came over to his raft and this big metal piece that kind of holds the oar locks, um, it was peeled back like a, like a burrito, right? And rolled up because he said he flipped and it had peeled back on the side of the river on a rock. And he said, Brian, I was just, I was afraid for my life. And on that first day, what he realized was all he wanted to do was get back home safe and sound. And my, my, my neighbor, um, he's not a very religious person, we'll call him that. Um, and so I was like trying to lean in pastorally, you know? And so I was like, well, everybody prays at some point in their life, don't they? And he was like, what? And I was like, well, you know, like, didn't you get to a spot where you're freaking out and you're like, help, right? Like, uh, and he, he kind of nodded a little bit and he kind of knew where I was going and, and he knows I'm a pastor. So he was a little snarky and he was like, yeah, I did thank the river gods when I got off the river. And I was like, all oh, right, okay, perfect, exactly. Um, but isn't it true that everybody prays? I mean, maybe, maybe you don't pray to Jesus, but I would guess that in our lives, we come up against moments that are bigger than us. Moments when we feel in over our head. Moments when life is too much. Moments when we want something for someone we love and we can't give it to them. And this should lead us to prayer. But I I don't wanna look at how everybody else prays this morning. I want us to consider how Jesus prayed. I want us to learn from the master of prayer, Jesus. And I wanna look at one of Jesus' short prayers, but one of his most honest and intense prayers, and it's found in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 42. You can read along with me, or the words will be up there. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room, and went as usual, everybody say usual with me, usual, okay, as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you do not give into temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Heavenly Father, Thank you Then, in an instant we can go from 
speaking to each other, communicating to each other, to communicating with you, the author and perfecter of life. Jesus, thank you that you are quick to listen, that you don't want us to just know about you, but that you want us to know you. Thank you, God, that we are known as well by you. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts as we engage with this short prayer, that you would teach us, you would grow us, that we would hear you and respond. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So it had all come down to this. Jesus has left the upper room. He had just celebrated Passover, what we now observe as communion with his disciples. He'd prayed with them, he'd washed their feet, he'd loved them, and, and he said some obscure things about what was about to happen, like where I'm going, you cannot come, and, and they were maybe a, a little bit discombobulated, they were a little bit confused about what was coming, but Jesus was not confused. He knew exactly what was coming, and in the days ahead, he knew he was going to be denied. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew he was going to endure immense suffering and pain. Ultimately, he was going to be hung upon a cross. And so in that moment, he turned to prayer. Where do you turn when you're in moments like this? Like when life is too big for you, when things are too difficult, in the, in the mountains of life, in the valleys of life, in just the mundane of life, where do you most often turn? See, Jesus, he always turned to prayer. And before we get into the bulk of this teaching, I just want to set it all up by saying this. Um, we need to understand something about who Jesus was and who, hopefully who we will become as well. Jesus, accompanied by the disciples, left the upstairs room knowing what was coming and he went as usual. You said it, usual, right? He went as usual to the Mount of Olives. Now, uh, true pastor stuff. Sometimes um, we think about like how we can impress you. I'm just, I'm just be honest with you, okay? So like sometimes I'm like, I, I'm gonna tell a joke and sometimes it's for you and sometimes it's just for me and I'm laughing on the inside and you're like, that wasn't even that funny. Um, and sometimes we say things like, well, the Greek says, and sometimes what we mean is like, it's something important and sometimes it's actually like, I just want you to know that I went and got my master's degree. Um, so... <laughs> This is not one of those moments because the Greek actually matters in here. And I want us to consider this word, this phrase, as usual. Because the Greek actually matters and I think it sets up the rest of this conversation. The Greek for usual is the word ethos. Ethos. Which is where we get the word like ethnicity from. Right? It speaks to like who you are. Where you came from. Who... Who, like, who, who are you at your most core level? What is your ethos? And what it says is, Jesus went as usual, as was his ethos, to the Mount of Olives. 
It connects us to our heritage, that word ethnicity. It connects us to who we are. And what I need you to understand before we get into the bulk of this is that Jesus was a man of prayer and he wants us to be people of prayer. It wasn't just that Jesus prayed, it was that he was a person of prayer. Do you see the difference? He doesn't want you just to be somebody who prays. He wants you to be a person of prayer. He wants you to identify, to find your ethnicity, your ethos, who you are as a person of prayer. Before Jesus selected his disciples, he prayed all night long, oftentimes in the midst of his ministry, busy things going on, people to be healed, people to be fed, all kinds of miracles to be done. In the midst of all of this, he would go off, as Mark told us, to a a lonely place, a solitary place to seek out his father. He was so good at prayer that his disciples noticed it and said, Jesus, just teach us how to pray. And he taught them the Lord's prayer. In the midst of the busyness of ministry, he always found time to pray, to seek out the father because he was a man of prayer. His ethos was prayer. Not what he did, who he was, was wrapped around prayer. And because that's who he is, I believe that that's what he wants for us as well. And so this morning, I want to just give you some instruction from here, some practical thinking and um, practical application from this tiny little a prayer to help you become more a person of prayer. So with the time remaining, let's talk about three principles of prayer. Three principles of prayer. Number one, we need to go to the garden with Jesus. We need to go to the garden with Jesus. Following Jesus means going to the garden. His, his disciples, they followed him. Listen, then accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. To be a disciple is to be someone who follows after Jesus. Not somebody who gets out in front of Jesus, not somebody who gets too far behind, but is right in step with Jesus, right? Just following after Jesus. Jesus. And so his disciples follow after him and he takes them to the garden. And I think that's an invitation for us as well to go to the garden. So you might say, Brian, what does that mean? What exactly does that mean for us to go to the garden? It's a great question. And I want to give you an example of what it might look like to go to the garden. So my wife, Lori, takes the kiddos to school about three days a week, and I usually take them about two days a week because uh, she loves them more. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> bad joke. Anyway, that one was one of those jokes for me. Shouldn't have said it. Anyway, we'll, we'll cut that. Um, I love you, Eli and Ava, very, very much. Um, but what happens on those days when she leaves early is that the house is quiet. Um, and, and what I do... Typically on those mornings is I, I grab a cup of coffee um, and I grab my journal and a pen and I grab my Bible 
and um, I'll either sit in a comfy chair sort of like this in our living room or I'll go sit at the counter um, if I want to do a little more in-depth kind of study um, and I'll go, I'll go to the garden. That's what I'm talking about, okay? See, I want you to understand that places are important and that this could be transformational for some of you. That Jesus invites you into a space and a place that could be a garden of prayer for you. And, and I don't think he wants us to be unintentional about it. Like this is what Jesus did. He went to the garden as was his habit. This is why Judas found him so easy. Judas is like, I know where Jesus is. He's at the garden. That's where he goes to pray, right? And I think Jesus wants the same for us. In fact, I think he invites us into finding these sacred places, these sacred rhythms of life, places where we would spend time with him. The things that we value, right? Don't we plan for? Don't we set up ahead of time? Don't we, don't we foster those things that we care for? Like, okay, single guys, right? If you're trying to press a girl, this is just helpful, helpful knowledge, okay? Single guys, okay. Like, it's good for you to pick a great place to eat, a place where you can have a conversation, look them in the eye. These are things they like. Just, you write that down, okay? Write that down. And, 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 they, and, they, and they love that, and you love that, and you'll spend time if you want to impress this girl, you'll spend time getting ready, finding just the right place, just the right time. Hey, because I want to foster this relationship, right? Well, it's similar in this, right? Places matter, and, and we should invest in those places. And I just want to give you some examples of what going to the garden might look like for you, because some of you are like, oh, yeah, got it, Brian, quiet time. I've heard of this before. Sounds like time out, pretty much, but um, like time out with Jesus, and I get to sit in a comfy chair. Um, no, no, no. I, I want you to embrace who God has made you to be and where your garden, where your garden might be. I'll give you a couple examples. So I went to Whittier College in Los Angeles my freshman year of college to play basketball and attempt to ruin my life. I was, I was successful at one of those. I'll let you figure out which one. Um, <laughs> and um, while I was there, it was, it was a tough year. I was really convicted. I'd grown up in a, a pretty Christian home and, and knew Jesus. Um, but I'd, I made a lot of decisions that did not glorify him. Um, and brought me a lot of shame that year. And about halfway through the year, I thought, man, something's got to change. And, and so I started this habit. I started going down to the basement where the washing machines and the dryers were, and you could find a little bit of quiet down in there in my dorm. And, and I would sneak down there, and, I, and I'd read, and I'd pray, and, and I'd journal. And um, after a while, there was a janitor there. And, and one night, he saw me down there, and he said, hey, I've been seeing you down here, and I could open up my janitor's closet for you if you want. I got a little chair and a desk in there and I'd love for you to um, be able to use that. I said, awesome. So he would open that up every night for me and I would go in and, and I'd shut the door and I'd, I'd pray and I'd have this little teeny janitor's closet that became a really special place for me. I, I poured out my heart and soul to Jesus. I, I wept in that room. I, I, I praised God with all I had in that room. And it was this sacred space for me. It was a janitor's closet, right? But it was a sacred space for me. Um, I have some spots on the mountain that I love. Anybody love these different spots on the mountain? 
like they're they're really important, aren't they? Like so, any hammock people? My, where's my hammock people? Right, my hammock people. I love you. Yeah, right. So, my hammock has become a really special place for me. In the in the five years that I lived in Big Sky, it was very very common to find me somewhere um, with my hammock in between two trees, with my Bible and some books and my journal, engaging with God, asking Him questions, wrestling with Him, engaging with Him, and. And it was well known, that was my, that was my hammock time. That was, that was the time when I engaged with God and I could hear his voice clearly. Uh, for many of us, that's nature. For some of us, it's a quiet place in our house. For some of you, it, it, might, be, it might be working out. Like I have some friends who, um, the place they hear God's voice the most is when they're running, which I do not understand. Walking, maybe, yeah. Um, <laughs> But they hear, they hear God's voice when they're, when they're running. They, they hear him most clearly. I had a friend who, when he's on his mountain bike, he, he just says, I hear the voice of God. Great, that's your garden. And I want you to really engage with this thought. Do I have a garden? Like, do I have a place where I go to meet with Jesus on a regular basis? Man, for, for those of you who are watching on the online, on the, on the live stream, man, I hope, man, I, I'm, I wouldn't be offended if you pause this right now and just spend some time in your garden at home. I hope that that's your place, right? Um, wherever you're at, what, wherever God has wound you, like he, he made you a certain way so that certain things would like bubble up within you, that they would matter to you, that would make a difference in your life, that make certain places where you'd hear the voice of God more clearly. Mark Batterson, uh, he's a pastor in Washington, D.C., and he wrote a book called Whisper, a really wonderful book about hearing the voice of God. And he talks about these whispering spots. The question would be, where is your whispering spot? He tells this great, great story. Um, so so there, there was this Wheaton College trip, and they were going over to England quite a few years ago. Uh, and they were going to visit John and Charles Wesley's house, which is the, the Methodist Museum over there in England. And so um, they went into the Methodist Museum, they toured through the house, and, 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 um, and when they came out of the house, as the story goes, they were loading up onto the buses, and, and they couldn't find one of the students. And, and so um, the professor went back into the house and started looking around and ended up going to John Wesley's room, where, um, as the story goes, uh, there were two divots in the floor, and those divots were the holes from where John Wesley would kneel beside his bed and wear literal divots into the ground because that was his whispering spot. And, and in those divots, the knees of Billy Graham were there, knelt, knelt down, hands folded, eyes closed, looking up to heaven and saying, let it happen again, Father. Let it happen again. Asking for revival because he knew that that was a special space, a, a whispering spot, and maybe he could catch, catch just a little bit of the voice of God in that whispering spot. I think this is really important for us this morning. For, for some of you, here's the tangible takeaway already this morning. Where is your garden, and when was the last time have you been to it? Like, is it, is it full of weeds? <laughs> like, yeah, I've got this spot, Brian. Haven't been there in like six months, but, you know, super important. Um, like, do you tend to that garden? Do you cultivate that garden? Are, are you around that garden? Is that part of your ethos? 
As was his usual habit, Jesus went to the garden. I want some of you to really consider this week, hey, where is my garden? And if I don't have one, how can I cultivate one, find one um, and make it my own? And when you get there, here's the question. What do you, what do, you do? What do you do when you get to um, your, your garden? And so I wanna spend the rest of our time together talking about just a couple more principles on what to do when you get there. So principle for prayer, number two. When you get to the garden, I want you to be honest. Be honest. So here's what Jesus says. He gets down on his knees, knowing what's about to happen, knowing that he's about to be tortured, that he's about to be beaten, that he's about to be killed. He's about to be lonely and that his father himself is going to forsake him, right? One of the things Jesus said when he's on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me utterly alone? He knows that this is coming and he doesn't say, oh, it's gonna be okay, Jesus, to himself. He doesn't say that, right? He's not like, oh, you know, I understand this is gonna be all right. I'm gonna be happy, clappy Jesus. No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? This is what he does. He says, father, if you are willing Please take this cup of suffering away from me. So so he's being honest. Prayer is an honest conversation with God. I want to free somebody up. I want to free somebody up this morning because like Christianese just drive me nuts, okay? So I'm going to offend somebody. Send me an email. It's awesome, okay? Um, So there's this, there's this thing that people used to say in church and still sometimes do. Is, so if you know it, just say it. God is good all the time. Okay, right. Which you're like, okay. The people who are guests, I'm so sorry for that. Like that's true. But sometimes that's not helpful. And sometimes that's not what our heart is saying. Like, like, can, can we get honest with God for once? Can we, can we stop playing, Christian? Like, stop playing. That's what I want to say to some of you this morning. Like, stop it. Sometimes you're not okay. This is a place where it's okay to not be okay, right? If we're not okay to not be okay here, man, we are not safe anywhere. Does that make sense? Like, we, we need to be honest with God. Stop playing, Christian. You know, like, if you got the Got Jesus t-shirt, like, come on, man. Nobody came to Jesus because of the Got Jesus t-shirt, right? And if you got, a, you got a Christian fish on the back of your car, drive better, right? Let's, come on. Jeepers. If Jesus can be honest, can't we? If Jesus can be honest, can't we? Like Jesus isn't playing here. He's saying, if there's any other way. So, some of you know part of our story, right? Five years of infertility, multiple miscarriages. Um, yeah, there's a great sunny side to the story and two adopted kids. And actually they made life more complicated because apparently that's what kids do. Um, so there were nights where if you didn't know I was a pastor, 
you wouldn't know. If you had seen me on my back porch, screaming at God, cursing at God, shaking my fist in the sky saying, where are you, God? Where are you in this? I'm a youth pastor, God. Like, I've been a youth pastor for eight years. I love kids, and you won't allow me to have kids? This is a good request. You can do anything. Why can't you do this? I would yell and scream at God. And and I just want to give some of you permission this morning. I want to give some of you permission to actually be honest with God. Say it like it is with him. He can handle it. Promise. Job lost his whole family, lost everything that he had, had sores on himself, was just laying there in the dust going, why God, why? He was honest with God. He didn't skate around his suffering. When when David was being chased around by Saul, hiding in cave to cave to cave, He said, how long, Lord? How long must I suffer? How long must my enemies come up against me? He didn't say God is good all the time. All the time is God is good. He didn't say that. (laughs) He said, how long? Hannah, when she wanted a baby, she, she went to the temple and she cried out to God. She made such a scene that the priest thought she was drunk in the morning, right? She was pouring out her heart to God. God, please hear my voice. Some of you need to be a little more honest with God. You need to be honest with him. You need to say it like it is with him. Some of you have very hard things that you're going through right now. And I want you to be honest with him. I want you to tell him how you feel. Like when when my kids come to me, I want to know how they feel. Like, even if I don't agree with how they feel, I still, I want to know how they feel. When they're hurting, guess what? I don't want to be like, I'll go away. I want to be like, come here, let daddy hold you. That's what I want to do. And I want to give some of you permission to be honest with God about what is going on in your life. But then I want you to hold some tension to that, okay? Because Jesus did. So after he said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup from me, he says this, Number three, be open. He says this. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Principle number three, be open. Be open. See, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. And he said, your father in heaven already knows what you need before you ask it. So then the question would be, well, then why do I pray? Right? I think part of why we pray is to hold this tension of being honest, but also being open with what God has for us. Being open that you don't have all the answers. Being open that, that God has a perfect plan for you that you just can't always see clearly. Like, be open, truly open to whatever God would want for you. I feel, I feel like sometimes we're just so closed in our prayers. Like we get that whole honesty thing and we're like, I, I get the whole honesty thing, Brian, but like, but, but like the open thing, I don't know. Cause I feel like I know what I want and God should give me what I want. And so I'll, there's this little ask me Jesus doll. You ever seen this thing? It's a magic eight ball Jesus, okay? And it's pink and it's awesome. I'll show it to you later. Anyway, um, and you shake it up and you ask it something and then it says, yes, my child, or 
Get behind me, Satan. It's really funny. Anyway, um, it's fantastic. But I, f- I feel like that's sometimes how we pray. Like we're like, okay, I, don't, I didn't get what I want. Let me shake it up again, turn it over, take a look. Oh, do I get what I want now? I call this jackpot Jesus, right? You keep pulling the handle, pulling the handle, pulling the handle until finally you win. And, and what I would say is we need to model Jesus. When Jesus says, I have a will, but not my will, but instead yours be done, He's submitting himself to the will of the Father. And I believe that prayer helps you and helps me to conform our will to the will of the Father. And I think that changes something deep inside of us. Because Jesus, see, Jesus wants the best for you. Like Jesus, Jesus knows what's best for you. C.S. Lewis said it like this, paraphrase. He said, our problem is not that, that, we want, that we want too little. Our problem is that we, we, we don't want enough. Our, our problem is that we settle for cheap thrills instead of costly satisfaction. Sometimes we want a cure instead of wholeness and healing. We want quick, immediate answers instead of the gift of waiting that brings maturity and lasting fulfillment. We want things our way instead of the way that the eternal, perfect, all-knowing, loving, heavenly Father knows things best to be. Let me, let me say that one more time, okay? Somebody catch this. We want things to be our way, which is reasonably limited, instead of the way that the eternal, perfect, all-knowing, and all-loving Heavenly Father knows things to be best. And this only comes through us being open to what God has for us, especially if it's a plan different than ours. So what is your next step? What is your next step in prayer. I want, you to, I want you to consider this. I want you to make commitments to this. Maybe, maybe it's that you don't have a prayer garden and that you need to find a prayer garden and cultivate that prayer garden. Maybe, maybe it's that you, you just haven't been honest with God and that you need to find the freedom to be honest with God. Or maybe it's that you need to spend some time being open that God might have a different plan for you, a different pathway for you, a different way for you to go. What is the next step that Jesus wants you to take? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of prayer. We are not worthy to come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and yet you allow it. Like we come, God, poor and broken, not even meeting up to our own standard. And, and yet you look at us in love and in grace and truth. You see us for who we really are. God, I, my prayer is that we would be people of prayer. That this would be a house of prayer, that our homes would be homes of prayer. 
that our lives would be saturated in prayer because we, we just can't hear your voice enough. Jesus, this is why I long for heaven, to be in a place where I can hear your voice all the time, where I'm never outside of your will. God, would you give me a glimpse of that right now? Jesus, thank you for meeting us here. Thanks for guiding us to the garden. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.